All right, everyone, welcome back to Check the Kick. You can find it on SureDog.com. It's a pretty cool website. If you've never heard of it, you should check it out. Um, glad you guys are tuning back in for another week. I appreciate all you guys that are tuning into this. Um, let's just get the show started. Um, I didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about, but we kind of do. Um, Mara Buena Silva defeats Holly Holm in the second round via ninja choke. Um, the commentary was calling it like a modified guillotine. It's a ninja choke. Either way, it's a finish. Um, pretty solid performance from Myra Buena Silva. She kind of did everything right, even you know through the post-fight speech, shouting out her spouse, even you know shouting out her Brazilian compadre that blew up her elbow previously in the night. Um, and then also campaign for a title shot. She said the belt is hers and she wants to bring it back home to Brazil. I'm cool with that. Um, interesting fight. I really liked Myra Buena Silva's tactics. We kind of knew what to expect from Holly Holm. Um, and I'm not happy that Holly Holm lost this fight. However, I'm, I'm happy for the women's bantamweight division because that division is probably i mean shit could we all really put up with another holly Holm title fight even another holly Holm main event um her style has just really become a very swing and cling throw combinations try to get in your face try to press you up against the cage and she got some shots off on myra buena silva as much as you, you probably have to score the first round of that fight for Holly Holm. But like in my heart of hearts, I don't want to score a round like that for somebody when they just kind of, you know, use, use forward pressure, put you against the cage and maybe try to hit you with a tiny shot on the break or just pepper you with shots. You know, she really fights for the underhooks and just try to go to the body and then go over the top against the cage. But there's not a lot of power behind it. That's for Holm. Um, she was kind of throwing some, some, combinations together landing on Myra Buena Silva but with no effect not clipping her up or not I mean this was not like a fight we're going to talk about here in a minute this was not like the JDM versus Basil Hafez type of touching up um Holly Holm's style has just become very nullifying and very ineffective for the current MMA scoring criteria I think that her style has been built over the years and she's been around so long that her style might have benefited the prior scoring system where impact slash damage, everybody calls it damage, but the really the word is impact um, where she just is not a very impactful fighter. Um, in the first round, when Holm was trying to rush into the pocket, um, Buena Silva met her with a lot of elbows. She landed a bunch of good elbows. Um, not a bunch, maybe two or three good elbows, um, some good clean shots on the feet. Her kicking was kind of interrupting home. Buena Silva was definitely a little bit smaller than home, but I don't think she's at any sort of size discrepancy. Um, and again, in a division like women's bantamweight, a size discrepancy is just not a huge factor in my opinion. Um, just because of the caliber and quality of those fighters in that division. Um, in the nicest way I can say it is what it is you know they, they can't help who's around them um for Meyer Buena Silva I love that she made the adaption she kind of noticed that Holm was going to pressure and just pressure against the cage and kind of leave her neck open 
and got that that ninja choke that ninja choke was super clean had holly tapping right away holly looked really weird um and she always does her kind of pace around you can tell she's definitely a little bit um she's riled up she's about to get into a fist fight don't blame her i'd be riled up too um but she also seemed older like i know she's 41 i know even though she just signed a new contract and, and i mean by all means let her keep fighting um she's holly Holm. but just facially like she looked a little bit she looked a little bit older on saturday night like the way she looked in her face just her body like time catches up to everybody and i wouldn't be surprised if it's finally caught up to holly Holm. um again her game is just not built for mma in 2023 and i understand you know mma in 2023 women's bantamweight is still and you know if if men's light have lightweight or bantamweight is in 2023 i say women's bantamweight is in 2014 2015 you know maybe about 10 years behind the behind you know the best divisions in the ufc skill for skill with what kind of fighters are there however um i just don't know if holmes style is is long for this she signed a three fight deal i believe so I'm, there's going to be two left um knowing holly Holmes, she would not want to go on go out on a loss um she seemed to be upset about the loss but she definitely wasn't leaving her gloves in the octagon um the uh title of this episode should be fumble the bag um because home fumbled the bag here this was her chance to reclaim another title again and you know there was rumors of ronda rousey coming back and you know blah 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 if you ask me, Ronda was not coming back to MMA. Um, but maybe for home, there was a thought in her head. Well, hey, maybe I can get another fight with Ronda Rousey if I can reclaim the title. And if home would have won on Saturday night, no freaking doubt about it. She was going to be in a vacant title fight. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they, they would have pushed Raquel Pennington to the side. Um, however, Meyer Buonasova won and she took no damage. And no one really in. 2023 again is going to take damage from Holly Holm. That's besides the point. Um, if it were me, she, you know, Myra Buenasilva took a page out of the Kenny Florian handbook saying I finish fights, but she is finishing fights and she is submitting people and she's got a laundry list of weird, cool submissions. You can throw ninja choke on there. She had been coming off of two arm bars and a knee bar and then now a standing ninja choke. Like that's dope. I like to watch Mara Buonasova. I think the UFC, you know, should back up the promotion truck and, you know, I don't want to say back up the Brinks truck, but throw some money at her, keep her around, get that girl in a title fight. I'd rather watch Mara Buonasova fight Juliana Pena or Raquel Pennington than Raquel Pennington and Juliana Pena fighting each other. My opinion. I mean, yeah, Raquel Pennington basically fights like a souped up version of Holly Holm right now, and that's just not going to be great. And Juliana Pena is Juliana Pena. Is she bad? Yes. Is she kind of crazy? Even more so. Would she have a funner fight with Myra Buenasilva? Yes, because Juliana Pena goes for it, and so does Myra Buenasilva. Um, good on Myra Buenasilva. I'm happy. This, you know, is the rein reinvigoration that women's bantamweight needs. They need a name. They they need a reason. Um. And with the way that the women's featherweight fight went to that night, Saturday night, um, God, if you guys, th there's going to be 
memes and gifts for life for poor Chelsea Chandler, but she got cracked by Norma Dumont, turned around and ran away like a kid playing ding dong ditch. That was funny. You guys need to go track that down. Um, Mara Buonasova got 50K too. She got a bonus. So shout out to her. That was freaking dope. Um, moving on to Jack Della Madalena versus Basile Hafez. That was a dope fight. Um, JDM. I'm kind of lost for words on how I feel about it. I was in the Sherdog's sure Slack chat. Sorry, I need a sip of water, guys. And girls or girls. Um, this fight, you, you need a gallon of water if you're going to watch this fight again. This fight was so crazy. This fight was super entertaining, but also super, super frustrating if you're a Jack Della Madalena fan. Um, I think we might have found his ceiling. I'm uh, Go on MMA Twitter, Instagram, wherever, MMA social media, and everybody's writing him off. And it's kind of the same thing that they did to Armin Sarukian, um, you know, after he got clipped by Joaquim Silva. This is a little bit different. JDM's repetitive guillotine jumping. Number one, shout out to Basil Hafez because this dude, short notice replacement, five days, comes in, no catch weight, cuts the weight. JDM also made weight twice too, so shout out to him. But big shout out to Basil Hafez. This dude took shots that like no one, Randy Brown wasn't taking them shots. No one else JDM fought. Number one, had JDM in as much trouble as he did on the feet and on the ground. And no one's been able to take his shots. First round comes, Basile Hafez doesn't even do the glove touch, shoots the immediate takedown, gets a takedown right away. Um, in the little, I didn't get to do any tape study for this fight. I kind of, I'm not going to say broke this fight down because that wouldn't be fair. Um, but I talked about this fight on my last show. It was a fight that I broke down. There wasn't even odds for it or anything at that time. Um, but from the little bit of research I did, I found that uh, Basile Hafez was a a high level BJJ practitioner. He competed in other, he competed in um, BJJ tournaments and he trains at elevation. Seems to be a trading partner of Justin Gaethje and Kamara Usman. Um, Basil Hafez seems to be good. Uh, the way that the fight went again, Basil Hafez gets the takedown in the first round, gets tons of control, ends that first round in an arm triangle. You got to give that round to him. Second round comes out. I mean, just saying that's not. Not fair. This fight was crazy. JDM and Basil Hafez were throwing down on the feet. Hafez was just taking tons of shots and, and giving them right back. And JDM was on the pressure, body punching. Um, Basil Hafez was just swinging and banging, taking JDM's best shots and clipping them up too. Like if you look at the there, they took a picture together and they both they both they both clearly beat the shit out of each other. But JDM was wearing it on his face. You know his nose is already sideways, but JDM was freaking wearing it after this fight. Um, first round. Second round is a little bit closer, but you can see Hafez is definitely wearing. He's getting takedowns. Um, JDM is jumping guillotine when Basile is going for takedowns. Um, third round is just madness. JDM. <laughs> a lot of people scored it a 10-8. I'm not mad at it. JDM is just pressuring Hafez, going to the body. I don't know how Hafez came, showed up, made weight, fought the fight he did for the first two rounds and did not get finished in the third round. Um, they both got 50 Gs for this. What worries me about Jack Della Maddalena moving forward, though, is um, you look at someone like Sean Brady, who's another big welterweight, who has like a... If it were me, 
picking the, you know, doing a breakdown analyst on the JDM Sean Brady fight. I feel like Basile Hafez fought a game plan that Sean Brady would fight. Is Basile Hafez maybe a little tougher and, and is Brady a little bit more breakable than Basile Hafez? Maybe, you know, I'm basing that on Sean Brady's fight with Bilal Muhammad, where he kind of got broken over time. Um, but again, that was when they were striking. Arm triangle shit. Like that's one of his things. Might've been first round sub for Brady. Um, so that's something that JDM wants to look out for. And, and, his jujitsu coaches, I mean, you don't want to take the – he's a brown belt, but, like, don't take his belt. But, dude, you know where you get initiated when you get a belt ranking in some gyms where you walk through the line of dudes and they all smack you with the belt? He needs to walk through that line of people and just have everybody smack him with belts because he, he jumped guillotine with, like, seven – I don't want to say the number because I don't have the stats up. But the dude was just jumping guillotine over and over and over again. And it's like Dustin Poirier is his favorite fighter. You're jumping guillotine on a high, on a pretty high level BJJ practitioner. And then you're, you're giving it up for bad position. It didn't work the first time. Didn't work the third time. Like, don't do it again. Um, JDM's going to go back and look at this. And, and you know what? The dude cut weight twice. This is like his third opponent in two weeks or something crazy like that. And, um, I think that they should book JDM since he looked the way he did. A lot of people thought he lost the fight. Some people scored round one and two for Basile Hafez. I wouldn't even, I think JDM won third round clearly. Pride rules JDM won this fight, in my opinion. Won the second round, clearly won the third round. Um, I could see scorecards for Basile Hafez first round and second round. I could also see someone scoring the first and second round for Basile Hafez and a 10 8 for. J for JDM in the third, making it a draw. I do think that JDM won the second and third round, but second round was close, really close fight. Um, and then fights always seem closer when a short notice dude steps up like that and just shows the fuck out. Um, for JDM, since he looked the way he did against a dude on five days notice, again, big risk for both guys, especially JDM in a ranking. I don't know if he should, he's he's wanting a Sean Brady rematch. I think. They should book him against Renat Fakhardinov. I think Fakhardinov is a big test, and Fakhardinov's game. Clearly, we saw him just knock out Kevin Lee. We know he can strike, but he is a topside grappler. And if he continues to jump guillotine the way he did, that's just going to be a problem for the rest of Jack Della Maddalena's career. Or... He will go back, have a full training camp, learn from his mistakes, and never do that shit again. Um, either way, a guy like Fakhardinov would be a huge test for him. And, and you know, you got to make fights based off of rankings, who's around them. Fakhardinov, he's probably in the top 20 at Walter Waite, if not just outside. Jack Delamadalena was ranked number 14. I like it. You know, it's, it's a stiff test for both dudes. Last fight I want to talk about on the card from this past weekend was Iron Turtle, John Young Park versus Albert Duraev. And Park is awesome. This is a dope-ass fight. Albert Duraev came out swinging and banging. I was very surprised by that. He was... Park's jab is phenomenal. The dude's got a great jab. Um, we got to see him fight Sean Strickland at some point just so they can have the battle of the jab. 
be really dope, I think. Um, I love dudes with good jabs. Some people say that it's really boring, someone that'll just stick behind a jab, but I love when someone just put a jab in your face and never allow you to get started. And um, Albert Durai was kind of landing some big, heavy power punches. He was um, countering with overhand rights over Jung Yong Park's jab, um, but nothing seemed to really bother Park. Um, I wrote down on my notes and my, my main note I wrote down was composure derives just not composed in a brawl when he has to take damage. He's good when he's giving it, but when he has to be the hammer and he has to take shots, he just doesn't like it. Um, Jung Young Park, the exact opposite. He knows what he's getting himself into. He knows if I'm gonna have to take some shots, but if I can get my jab going, I'm gonna line up my two. I'm gonna line up my two right behind the jab, and that's what he started to do. Um, good, good leg kicks by Derive as well. Park started to kind of, you know, after maybe the first four or five, halfway through the first round, Park, you know, was able to start checking the kick. Um, <laughs> Park started to be able to check the kick, um, but. First round goes by, Albert Drive gets that takedown. Jung Young Park scrambles up and gets back to his feet. And at that point, I was like, okay, Albert Drive might be in trouble here because Park's not phased by the power you're trying to hit him with. He's landing a good jab on you. His, his cross, his two is starting to land clean. And now he's defended your wrestling. And that's part of the composure thing. Drive just looked like, this sucks. This is bothering me. Oh, damn it. I'm not having success on the feet. Let me go to my grappling. Fuck, my grappling didn't work. What am I going to go to now? And there are some fighters that are just headstrong that, hey, this is, you know, this is it. I'm going to I'm going to go no matter what, even if my even if plan A doesn't work the first time, I'm going to try it 10 times and it'll work on the 11th time. And that's just Jung Young Park's style. Um, second round comes out. Park just gets on the front foot, gets on the pressure, and he was slowly starting to pressure Derive through the first round, um, but really got on the pressure, started landing his jab. The second Derive took the back foot and was in the between the black line and the cage, like the warning track, whatever you want to call it, um, that's when Park really started to th- he, he would double up his jab and then he would throw his two right behind it and he was snapping his head back. And then they got into an exchange where Dariah throws a right hook and Jung Young Park just crushes him with the cleanest counter check left hook. Just boom, perfect check hook, like folds his nose. The, the punch landed right on the nose. Drive just goes face first onto the ground. Number one, I'm pretty sure he was concussed. Number two, like if you've never been hit in the nose, like it'll it'll make you just eyes flash, water, and it hurts. Like getting hit in the nose sucks. Um, and you could tell he just didn't want it. Um, Jung Young Park takes his back and they scramble a little bit. And then he finally sinks in the rear naked choke and, and gets the choke. Um, I want to call it a club and sub, but it was like a club and works toward a sub. Either way, the hands are what got him to the ground. Jung Young Park looked great here. Um, Dariah just beat Chidi and Jaquani. And I would like a fight like that for Park, but I think he deserves um something a little bit higher in the rankings maybe give him someone like Imovov. him and chris curtis would be a really fun fight too um or maybe 
we're going to talk about this fight later, but maybe we can do Park versus the loser of uh, Paul Craig and Andre Muniz. Like, that'd be a good fight. Um, Jung Young Park's on a streak. I think he's won seven of his eight eight last fights, and only dude that beat him was Hobo Cop, and he had Hobo Cop dead to rights like two, three, four times in that fight before he got finished himself. And I think going through, you know, trials and tribulations in fights and through your fighting career and in life just kind of teach you, you know, where to be composed and, you know, how to stay mentally tough. And I think he's he's really adapted and and um, put that toward his game. He looked he looked great, like one of his best performances. I when I see dudes take big shots, I always watch their eyes to see, like, you know, are they losing focus? Are they looking toward the corner? Are they looking toward the clock? Are they looking flustered? Are they blinking it out? Are they just laser focused from Jung Young Park? Iron Turtle, man. He's the shit. And his little dance after was dope. And his, uh, you know, he told DC, him and DC always seem to have cool moments on the mic. Um, just another Korean fighter. That's dope. Love Jung Young Park. And he's 32. He looks a little bit older um, to me, but he's 32 years old. And, and now's the time for him. Um, him and F Anthony Fluffy Hernandez would be a dope-ass fight, too. Um, but give him someone like Chris Curtis or Imovov, man. I think that'd be dope. Um, good on him. Great win. He looked awesome. All right, guys. We're going to go ahead and move on to the second segment of the show called What's Hot. In the segment, I will talk about hot topics trending in MMA. And uh, we're going to talk about the big boys. Pretty hot topic, fellas. Francis Ngannou versus the Gypsy King Tyson Fury has been booked. Odds have been released on this fight. Um, this is not a title fight. However, this fight will go on their pro records. It's a 10-round bout. I know there was like uh, exhibition rumors and all that shit. I would have, I mean, I took these odds a week ago. Fury is a minus 1,000 favorite. Francis Ngannou is a plus 600. Wouldn't be surprised if that even changes at all. Like, boxing always has crazy odds. And, and I'm sure some money will come in on Fury. MMA, you know, the MMA fan base, MMA betters will see, holy shit, Francis is plus 600. You know, and he, he might swell up to plus 800. And you might see Fury, you know, get even bigger down to, you know, Minus 1,200, minus 1,400, but that's a stay away fight. You don't bet that fight. Um, and we were talking about fumbling the bag. Um, everybody said Francis Ngannou fumbled the bag. I didn't say he fumbled the bag. If you've had conversations with me regarding this, I did say I don't know if it was the smartest thing to do. And I was more, um, more towards PFL, signing a dude that if he gets one boxing fight, he's probably never going to have a pro MMA fight again. Um, and Francis got it. He got his wish. Um, and this is what we're paying for. You know, if you're a, if you're a combat sports fan outside of MMA, if you're a boxing fan, um, we're getting this over the Usyk fight or the Anthony Joshua fight. So like this better be good. Um, Fury is facing some ridicule for this as well, saying, you know, you're taking a fight against a dude on one leg that doesn't have a, a pro boxing match but again you know they had their moment prior you know they've had their moment in in the ring octagon together where they've kind of faced off and 
Um, Tyson Fury asked him how big as Corey was. It was a very funny moment. Looked that up. It's very funny. Um, but they've kind of been on each other's radar for a hot minute. There was, you know, bullshit talks about Fury fighting John Jones and all that shit. And um, I think Fury realized, hey, this is a good time for me to take this step in my career because, you know, I'm trending. All the UFC fans are freaking out about me. All the John Jones stuff is stuff with Joe Rogan just making waves through the media. And it's a safer fight technically than really anyone that Fury can face. That's a pro boxer. Um, I know there was rumors of uh, Nganu fighting Chisora, I believe. Francis has never fought a dude bigger than him. Doesn't have any recent boxing matches. He's double knee surgeries after the gone fight. Long time away. Francis Ngannou has nuclear power. I mean, it's not, it's like his power is like being poisoned with cyanide or being shot with a poison dart. Like it touches you, you're dead. That's it. Um, but so is Deontay Wilder. And Deontay Wilder might even hit harder than Francis. Deontay Wilder kills people. And Fury's finished him twice and had a draw with him in their first fight and got dropped and got back up like the freaking Undertaker. Another thing that Francis can't do in boxing is Francis hits people, they go down, and he finishes them. Look at the way he's finished basically everybody. He's clubbed them, sent them to the stratosphere, but those people don't get 10 counts. Jorginho Rosenstrike drops him, hits him with another clubbing shot. He's out. Recent fight with Stephen Miocic drops him, gets on top of him. Hammer fist was the hammer fist necessary? No, but um, Fury has an incredible chin, and Fury's huge. Fury's six foot seven, I believe. I think they say he's six foot nine, but he's like six foot seven, six foot eight. He's fucking huge. Um, he's gonna weigh like three hundred pounds. I really hope Fury doesn't f around. I really hope he takes this fight seriously. If he uses a similar approach to what he used against Deontay Wilder, especially in the second fight, just leaning all over him, being dirty, just leaning on him in the clinch, Fury comes in at like 300 pounds and just makes this a dirty fight. Francis Ngannou is going to be gassed out in three rounds and he's going to get knocked out. Um, if you are going to bet this fight, you just bet Fury by KO. Um don't round bet it because there's 10 rounds and they're only three minutes a piece, but 30, like we don't know how Francis carries his power in sick in the sixth round. I really hope Tyson Tyson's a, is a Tyson's a gamer and he's a showman. And I really hope Fury doesn't try to carry Francis in this fight because you better not F around and carry a dude like Francis. You need to get in there. Put a jab in his face. Everything Tyson Fury does is better than Francis Ngannou. Every single thing. The only thing he just can't he just can't get touched by him. But even if he does, I if Tyson Fury were to get dropped by Francis Ngannou, I would not be surprised if he just gets up and finishes him in the following round. Want to see Fury just get after him and make it a really dirty fight. And he has the ability to fight so many different styles. He can he can hang all over you. He can fight you from the outside. He could just put a jab on. He could just put a jab on Nganu for four, five, six, seven rounds and then get dirty for two rounds and finish him in the ninth. 
I could, yeah. And Fury can power punch. He's leaned more on his power punching. Look what he did to Deontay Wilder in their second and third fight. Um, nuked him. Any man that could fight three rounds, three rounds, three fights with Deontay Wilder can take Francis Ngannou's power. Is Francis Ngannou nuclear? Yes. Tyson Fury is special. Francis Ngannou is also special. But there will be more Francis Ngannou's. Tyson Fury is one of one. A dude with all of his, his physical abilities, plus his technical abilities, and just his durability and toughness. He's just a different breed. Um, and I'm excited for it. I love Tyson Fury. And I don't mind Francis Ngannou. And, I, and I'm glad to see an MMA guy, you know, actually take a big fight like this in the twilight of his career. Jake Paul is saying he's making $10 million for this. Maybe it's, it's being funded by the Saudis. So who the hell knows who knows where the money's coming from. Not my problem. Don't care. Um, I'm cool that it's happening, but like, it better be good. It better be good because we're getting this instead of the Usyk fight. So is what it is. PFL. Don't know if Francis Ngannou is ever going to fight under your banner in the smart cage. Francis Ngannou stated that I forget who show was on earlier today. I heard that um, that he thinks that there's a, a rematch clause if he were to win, but probably not one if he loses. And that makes all the sense in the world. Why would Tyson Fury fight this dude again unless he loses? And the only way he loses is if he gets brutally knocked out or Tyson Fury gets back on drugs and doesn't train at all and comes in at 400 pounds and just gets starched. Don't think that's going to happen, though. Um, but we will hear a song sung after the fight, more than likely, which I always like when Tyson Fury um, serenades us all. That's always funny. Um, moving on to the next thing I want to talk about, which is interesting and annoying, is... Uh, Paulo Costa pulling out of the Ikram Alaskara fight less than two weeks away from it happening. And I don't even think he ever was going to take this fight. I think his plan was to pull out last minute all in all. I think he wants to be cut by the UFC. Um, if I was a high-ranked middleweight, anyone in the middleweight division, don't take fights with Paulo Costa He's not taking them seriously. Look what he did to Marvin Vittori. I'm surprised that fight even happened. All of the contract negotiations, all that shit. And then for him to pull this, it's it's kind of fucked up. And it's disrespectful. He's There's even a tweet that I saw, and it could be fake, but somebody put an illustration of him next to Hamzat Shemaev, and they're like, the real reason that Paula Costa pulled out was so he could fight Hamza, and he retweeted it and said, smart. And it's just like, dude, go like you got to go fuck off. If that's your mentality, like we're here, I'm here. don't know why you're here, but I'm here to watch serious people compete in the best sport in the world. And when you are doing that, it's a, it's disrespectful to the fans. Maybe people already bought this. Maybe you're the reason why or you're a puzzle piece of the reason why people want to buy this pre this pay-per-view. Ikram Ovskirov. A very highly touted prospect that's very good. Um, coming from Dagestan, another one of those dudes. The UFC loves these Muslim fighters. The, the 
I'd be really upset if I was Ikram Alaskirov. Um, I'd be very upset. This was his moment. This was his chance to, you know, they were doing the same thing that they did for Abus Magomedov for Ikram Alaskirov. Like, hey, you get this win, you're getting fucking shot into the title picture, and it all just falls out from under you. And it's going to be really hard for Ikram Alaskirov to get a fight like that again. None of those other dudes, Brendan Allen isn't fighting him. There's he's just too much of a risk, and it's just really um, just not looking good all the contractual shit he was talking about, all of his negotiations and all the BS that's been unfolding recently around him. Man, it's a really, really tough look and it sucks. The UFC 291 lost that fight because I was super excited for it myself. And maybe that's why I'm so passionate about it. Um, the uh, other topic I wanted to talk about was Sadiakov and all the cage grabs this past weekend and referees not taking points. However, I was so triggered by this that I pulled the freaking rug from under that and switched to this pullout by Paulo Costa. God. And I'm just, you know, I don't know what's next for the dude. I think he's purposely trying to get cut from the UFC. I'm not even kidding at this point. I really do think that. Wish him nothing but the best. However, this sucks and it's kind of a dick move. Um, and I'm, I'm, the most heartbroken for for Ikram because I don't know what the hell that dude's going to... It's going to be so hard for him to find fights. He's so damn good. And this was his moment. You know, if, if we want uh, middleweight, which is not the best division, if we want more challengers, more dudes like Drikas Duplessis, this is what we needed. And, you know, we lost it. It got botched. Thanks, Paulo Costa, um, the eraser, Bohachinha. You've erased yourself from the UFC probably after this one. Um, Moving on to the final segment of the show. In with the new, we're going to talk about this UFC card coming up this weekend. Across the pond, we got Tom Aspinall versus Marcin Taibura. Um, biggest favorite on the card. I pulled these odds yesterday when I was kind of doing my prep work for this. They probably changed. Aspinall's probably been a bigger favorite. I think he's the biggest favorite on the card. Biggest favorite of the odds of the three fights. I decided to pick for you guys and go over with you guys. Minus 425 for Aspinall. Marcin Tybura coming back in at plus 350. Aspinall. Team Calbon. Aspinall's good, man. <laughs> um, coming off that pretty horrific knee injury against Curtis Blades in a fight that lasted 14 seconds. I think it was 14 or 15 seconds. Um Curtis Blades might have been winning the 15 seconds of that fight, but you take that with a grain of salt. It's 15 seconds. Um, happened at the O2 Arena last time. Um, so he's coming back after being off, fighting in the same place where he blew his knee up. And um, this is a good opportunity for him, and this is a very well-matched fight, um, if you're Tom Aspinall, in my opinion. Um, Tom Aspinall is... He's really good. Like, he's good at everything. His dad was the BJJ coach um, at his camp. I believe he switched camps or is training at his own camp right now, but I know he goes to Calbon as well. Um, he's six foot five, long reach, but he's just good at everything. Like, he may be the most well rounded heavyweight. I'm going to put him as more well rounded than John Jones. 
he's a better boxer than John Jones. Is he John Jones? No, because he doesn't have the accolades, but like he's he's got better BJJ, maybe not better wrestling and maybe better ground and pound than John Jones, but like he's the number two of the most well-rounded heavyweight right there, in my opinion. I put him, you know, with guys like John Jones and Stipe and yeah, I think those three may be the most well-rounded heavyweights in the division. Aspinall is really good. High-level BJJ. Very, very high-level BJJ, but also slick, good striking, good elbows. What he did to Spivak was just fucking awesome. Um, and if you look at his wins, like all of his wins have aged well. Every single one of his every single one of his wins. Um, his loss, you know, that's a TKO loss via knee injury. But prior to that, straight arm bar against Volkov, round one, three minutes, 45 seconds, took him down straight arm bar, such a heavyweight submission, but still awesome. TKO elbows and punches Sergey Spivak. Those are two wins that are aged like fine wine. Andre Arlovsky went on like a three to four fight win streak after that, even though it's Andre Arlovsky. And then, you know, Alan Bado and Jake Collier, he, he, he did what he was supposed to do to those dudes. Um, but prior to that, like before his loss to Curtis Blades, his only other loss was back in 2016 due to, you know, illegal downward elbow. And then prior to that, he lost via heel, heel hook in 2015. Like the dude's made, made tons of strides. He's young. He's 30 years old. Um, he's one of those heavyweights. That's not cutting to 265 but he's just right there he's six foot five you think he weighed in 254 his last time out could be wrong sure dogs got him listed at 251 i just did some tape study on him a couple past couple nights um i kind of like everything he does i like his kicking game i like his boxing game i like his range game um i love his elbows like into the pocket mid-range to close-range attacks. He's really, really good at that. He's got big power in his hands, good power in his kicks. Um, his leg kicks are even good. I really like his takedown game. His top game is great. What he did to Volkov was awesome. Um, Tybura, speaking of Holly Holm, he definitely has a game that would be kind of similar to hers where he's very wants to push you against the cage. He did knock out Greg Hardy, which is dope. Um, but Tybura's on a good streak. Like, and he's not a bad fighter. He he's he had a couple he he lost some fights via knockout, but he's definitely made, you know, he's definitely made that change. Back in 2018, he got knocked out by Derek Lewis. Okay, Derek Lewis knocks out everyone. You know, the the loss to Shamil Abdurakimov and the loss to Augusto Sakai back in 2019. Those happened like his loss to Sakai was in the first round. It took less than a minute for Sakai to knock him out. Um, but since then, like he's also beat Sergey Spivak, good win. Maxime Grishin, good win. Ben Rothwell, pretty good win. Greg Hardy, decent win. Knocked out Walt Harris. He lost to Volkov, but Volkov looked like a fucking million bucks in that fight. Then he beat Romanov and he beat Blagojevanov. Look what Romanov's doing. Romanov is, is a guy that's highly touted. And it, does he care about his weight? Probably not. He looked like fucking shit in the fight against Marcin Dybura. And then Blagoy is just a, you know, a giant refrigerator that is extremely, uh, Blagoy is like a refrigerator filled with concrete wrapped in a hundred rolls of duct tape. That's how durable he is. Um, and Tybura beat him. Tybura's got good output, decent boxing, kind of lower power for a guy that big. Um, good wrestling, good top game. 
really will will hold you against the cage. Um, that's one of his things. I just don't know what he's gonna do against Aspinall. I understand why he took a fight like this. Number one, because he's he's Polish, and this is gonna be a fight close to home. It is in in Tom Aspinall's backyard, O2 Arena. They went freaking nuts for him last time he won there. They were singing Tommy Aspinall, Tommy Aspinall. We're gonna hear that. Um, Tom Aspinall wins his fight. The, it's going to be crazy there all around the O2 arena. Those dudes love Tom Aspinall there. He's a big star. Um, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm kind of parked. I didn't drink enough water throughout the day today. Um, I just don't know what, what Ty Burra is going to do to win this fight. I think Aspinall can match him with just volume alone. He's got a better jab. He's got more power than Ty Burra. Ty Burra has to win this fight either by completely nullifying Aspinall for three rounds against the cage and just winning each round by control against just control against the cage, or he kicks Aspinall's leg off and breaks his leg and he injures him. I just don't see another, I don't see Tyabura getting into the clinch to try to push Aspinall up against the cage. He's just going to get met with elbows like Aspinall so fast, so explosive. I think he's going to knock out Tyabura. I could see him, just getting into an exchange on the feet and clipping them with a big hook or something like that. Um, or even just the way that Ty Burra will try to push you against the cage. Like that, that's just going to open him up for elbows. I could see him killing him with an elbow like he did to Spivak. Um, give me Aspinall by round one knockout. I don't think this goes even over a round. I think he's going to be energized by the O2 arena. I think he's, you know, he's, he's the main event. Those dudes love him. He's coming back off a year off. The dudes, I've listened to some interviews. Tom Aspinall is not effing around. He's serious. This dude's a real threat. And dudes like him are the reason why I don't think John Jones is going to be fighting an MMA much longer. Because when you got dudes like Sergey Pavlovich lurking around, kind of, you know, shark in the water, and then you got another young shark like him in the water. Yeah, Aspinall's great. Watch this fight. This is this is big for him. Um, good comeback, good matchmaking. If Taibura wins, I will be shocked. I'll be utterly shocked. Moving on to another fight. Um, there's a lot of pretty good fights on this card. I picked this one because I thought it was going to be good. Nathaniel Wood versus Andre Feely. Um, another hometown dude. Nathaniel Wood's slight favorite. I'm not going to say moderate. He's a eh, slight to moderate. Minus 185. You got Andre Feely coming back at plus 160. Nathaniel Wood is a dude that spent a large portion of his career down at Bantamweight. And he's kind of taken all of his uh, physical attributes from Bantamweight up to Featherweight. He's definitely going to be the smaller dude. But he's got really good boxing. I like his boxing a lot. His combinations are really good. Um He's got good calf kicks. He's got good combos. He likes to lead his combinations with his power hand. Sometimes I noticed, um, but he still throws his combination. Punching is still really, really good. And I love his composure in the pocket. Um, he killed Charles Rosa um, with leg kicks. Looked great against Charles Jordan. Jordan is is dangerous. His loss to Casey Kenny was his last fight. Um, down there at 135, and still his fight with Casey Kenny. It was a close fight. Um, looked good. On, looked good on the feet in the pocket. His John Dodson knockout in 2020 is something that you know he can be hurt. 
Um, but I just, I, I love his, I love his boxing. That's something that I really think he's going to, you know, put on Feely here. Feely, on the other hand, Feely is, is a longtime UFC fan. I love his nickname, Touchy Feely. Very funny nickname. Um, and Feely's just fought everybody. Getting knocked out by Joe Anderson Brito looked bad in the moment. But looking back on it, Brito's an absolute athletic beast. Super powerful. Just a killer. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be too upset about that. His loss to Bryce Mitchell, another loss where he was kind of out wrestled. Um, He's also beaten Charles Jordan. He's out of his last four fights, excluding the Daniel Pineda fight, his two wins come via split decision. And that's a little bit alarming. Um, And he's kind of traded wins and losses for a little while, for a little while here. Um, What I like about Feely, he's, he's, he's not the best defensive wrestler. Once he gets taken down, he doesn't really, he can be controlled if that's how he lost to, to Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell's a good wrestler, but also Sadiq Yusuf employed that tactic as well. Um, I really like Feely's kicking game. His head kicks are really good. He's got a lot of dexterity with his legs. Um, we'll throw combinations and throw the kick, kind of hide the kick behind the punch, following behind it. I love when dudes do that. You know, they'll throw a shot and then throw a cross, throw the kick behind it to kind of, you know, the cross kind of blocks the kick. Um, and he, he uses that technique. He's got good head kicks. Nathaniel Wood needs to watch out for Feely's kicks and Feely's got good boxing. I just, you know, over the years, Feely has seemed to take in damage. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to be surprised to see if either one of these guys pushes a wrestling game on because Nathaniel Wood has submissions. Um, Feely is not a really submission based grappler, but he will take people down and he will go to them. He has, he has one fights via submission. Um, I see Nathaniel Wood just getting in the pocket and being faster to get in and get out. If he he uses leg kicks, if he can kind of just kick his way in, kick his way in, don't throw them blindly, set up your set up your kicks, get into the pocket, throw volume, and just if he wins every exchange landing three to one on Feely, he can win this fight that way. But I could also see him hurting Feely. Um just with multiple boxing exchanges, I could see, you know, this going. I could see this going three, four or five exchanges deep. And then all of a sudden Wood starts having success. Um, I'm going to pick Nathaniel Wood here. I think he may hurt Feely at some point in this fight, but I think he will just out volume him and maybe ring him up here and there. It's a good fight. Um, I like it. This is a very well-matched fight. It's a good test for Wood. Um, Wood is coming back off another dude coming back off a terrible knee injury. This knee injury was is very different than Aspinall's. However, he like you should look up the picture. You can find it on Twitter, wherever. Google that shit. Um, he was training in a gym, and the gym had like some exposed wood like under the training mats, and the wood like caught his leg and just like flesh wound, ripped it open. Like you could see the kneecap, I believe. I think it was his knee somewhere on his leg. It was gruesome. Like this was. Like the cut was bad. Like, you know, if you've ever been in the emergency room and you're sitting there and you see someone come running in with like a terrible injury and they take them straight back, like that's what it looked like. It was a bad cut. Um, so yeah, um, going going with Nathaniel Wood there. Hopefully he's he's all good with his injury, and this should be a fun fight. Wouldn't be surprised if this got fight of the night. 
Um, just, just a, just a banger of a fight. All right, moving on to the last fight I'm going to discuss with you guys. We have the Scott Paul Craig versus Andre Muniz. Paul Craig is a semi-sizable underdog, plus 188. I got Andre Muniz coming back, minus 223. Paul Craig is coming down from light heavyweight after dying on a single leg in his fight with Johnny Walker. I chuckle, but I don't like to see people get hurt like that. Paul Craig seems like a cool guy. Um, Muniz is coming off of a loss that was, I'm not going to call it embarrassing, but I'm going to call it surprising. Um, his rear naked choke loss to Brendan Allen after kind of losing the whole fight. I hope that was just a one-off. Um, Paul Craig, on the other hand, he's he, he lost a decision to Vulcan Uzdemir and kind of got clubbed up in that fight, and Vulcan didn't really fall into his traps. Johnny Walker, he tried to catch a kick, and, and Johnny Walker just made him pay with brutal hammer fists, dying on a single leg. Prior to that, excuse me, Prior to that, um, he, he beat Shogun. Um, he, he also has a triangle in there against Antigulov, but, you know, beat Shogun. Then he beat Jamal Hill and then beat Nikita Krylov. Like, sort of, the dude beat, well, Jamal Hill's not the champion of the world anymore due to his Achilles injury, but the submission against Jamal Hill was actually super impressive. Um, don't know if that's more impressive than his freaking win over against Magomed and Kalaev, but Paul Craig is who he is. He's a dude that takes tons of damage, bad striking, slow, not a good athlete. He's huge. I don't know how he's going to cut to 185. Um, hopefully they have some sort of back end deal where, Hey, you know, if I miss weight, will you still take this fight at a catch weight? Because I don't even know if Paul Craig can make 185. He's fucking huge. He's six foot five. Like he's giant. I don't know how he's going to make it. Andre Muniz is another dude that's huge. And it's funny that they book, um, they book Paul Craig, a dude that's coming down from a bigger division, coming down 20 pounds. I don't, again, I don't know where the 20 pounds is going to come from. Um, unless he was in an accident and lost a limb. Um, Andre Muniz is another dude that's just huge for this division. Um, Muniz looked good against Uriah Hall. Um, was he able to sub Uriah Hall? No, but Uriah Hall has never been submitted. And he just outstruck him cleanly. I think the, the only way Paul Craig wins this fight is by jumping guillotine and catching Andre Muniz in a weird submission. However, Andre Muniz is a very high-level black belt, and jumping guillotine on a guy like that would be like stepping in front of a moving train. Probably not a good idea. Um, I'm saying jump guillotine. I mean jump guard. Um Damn, Jack Della Madalena's got me thinking about jumping guillotine. Um, but Paul Craig will jump guard. He will Imanari roll. He will do a bunch of weird tactics. He tries to catch kicks. I don't think Andre Muniz is a known kicker. Um, and his striking is pretty decent. He's got pretty decent power. Paul Craig is a dude that has just not been very durable either. Would not be surprised if Paul Craig gets clipped with something here and gets club and subbed. Um, technically... This is just a bad matchup for Paul Craig. I think that there's dudes in this division that he can probably, you know, use his tricks because that's his like 
Paul Craig is a fighter. All these dudes are fighters, but like he's not a fighter. He's a trickster. Like he that's just his game. His game is weird and tricky and he he'll take a beating from you but then, you know, just catch you in the very last moment. He just got such a tricky weird game. Um but if you don't fall for those tricks, Andre Muniz could make this fight look like the Volkanovs Demir fight. Only difference being that he would be willing to wrestle and grapple in those moments. Um you do need to Beware of Paul Craig. If you're on top of him, on bottom, he is dangerous. Look what he did to Krylov after getting the effing shit beat out of him. Look what he did to Kennedy and and Jakub. I'm just gonna call him Kennedy. Look what he did to Kennedy. Um, even Uncle I've got the fucking piss beat out of him for 14 minutes and then gets a submission off his back in the final minute. So you can't slip up around him. However, Andre Menuz is gonna be the the highest touted highest level BJJ guy that he's ever fought. And I just don't think this game is built for a guy like Muniz. And Muniz is big. He's 6'2", bricked up, big dude, hits hard. If, if you just remove the BJJ wrestling grappling from this fight, if Paul Craig has to cut 20 pounds and fight Andre Muniz, it's not going to be good for him. Like, he's already not a durable dude. If anything, Paul Craig should be going to heavyweight. Paul Craig should be trying his bag of tricks at heavyweight against dudes like Blagoy Ivanov and, you know, dudes that are outside of the rankings. Like he should be doing this to, you know, Justin Toffo or his or Junior Toffo or, or, you know, Muhammad Usman, like, or Jake Collier. Like that's who he should be fighting. He can use his bag of tricks on dudes like that. I just don't know what he's grabbing for, what he's reaching for here. Um, I just don't think it's a good. I don't think it's a good fight for him. Um, I'm all over Andre Muniz in this fight. I just think he's going to be better than him everywhere. But I'm really, my pick is not even based on their skills. My pick is more based on Paul Craig already being, sus, you know, suspect when it comes to his durability and cutting 20 pounds, being six foot four, six foot five. Um, curious to see what happens. Um, and I, I don't love to see dudes coming down 20 pounds from light heavyweight to 185 just not a good idea um that's the show guys thanks a ton for for listening in um shorter show this time around just because there's not a ton to talk about but next week there will be a lot to talk about because i will be previewing ufc 291 and i'll be recapping this card for you guys um Thanks for tuning in. Check out SureDog.com. They're the shit. If you guys ever have any questions for me, please reach out to me. Find me on social media, DevGhostFishing, Twitter, Instagram, all the things. Shoot me a message. Comment right here. I try to stay engaged with you guys, too. If you ever have any questions, anything, want to call me an idiot, do it in the comments. Take care, guys. Enjoy the fights.